0: Father, it is true that you are the risen king. The death could not hold you down. It is the good news of the gospel that you have granted to us, lost sinners. And we are grateful and we are thankful. And now, Father, we have come to this time in the service, Lord, where we will turn our eyes to your word And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would now descend upon me and that you would grant me teaching, preaching, anointing. That I would declare the richness of your gospel and the glory of your kingdom. That those that are here listening, that you've drawn, Lord God, by your providence, that you would encourage their hearts today. That you would stir them, Lord God, for good works, for which you prepared for us to do in the beginning of the world. Come now, Holy Spirit, descend upon your servant. Grant me that which I cannot do in my own strength. It's in your holy name we pray all these things. In Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Praise Team. Appreciate that. Well, while praise team is taking their seats, you can turn with in your Bible and you can stand as we are going to read from the Book of Romans, chapter seven. We're going to have it up on our screen if you don't have a iPhone or Android or whatever the case may be, and we're going to get cooking here. So I got a lot to download to you before we get to the Lord's Supper. Here we go, reading from the CSB translation. Since I am speaking to those who know the law, brother and sisters, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then if she is married to another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in him in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused to the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said do not covet. And sin, season and opportunity through the commandment produced in me, coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, just and good. Therefore, Did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through that which is good. So that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing. Because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me. But there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it. But it is the sin that lives in me. So I've discovered this law. When I want to do good, when I want to do what is good, Evil is present with me. For my inner self, I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. And who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. This is the word of God. You may have your seats. God's message to the whole world starts with the facts of knowing that the whole world that we see today all around us was not created by God like this. The death, the envy, the hatred, the division, the oppression, and the hopelessness. These things that we see, they were not created by God. But God created humans in his image and in his likeness. And he pronounced over all creation that it was very good. You find that in Genesis 131. But God has given a message to the whole world, and it's called the good news. The gospel is the good news about God, about Christ, what God has done to come and to rescue us. That's the good news, and that's the message that God has for the whole world. doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile and everything else in between. God's message to us and to the whole world is that the good news, which is the gospel, that God has done something about it. But because something has went horribly wrong in his creation, because what? Because sin had entered the world. And the image of God in Adam and Eve, the first two human beings, it was severely corrupted. And they passed that same corrupt nature to all of their offspring, which is us and everyone else. Understand, no one is righteous. No one. Not Antifa, not BLM, not the KKK, nor any of us in this room on our own. No one is righteous before the Lord. So Adam passed on to us this corrupt nature, which now dominates all humanity with earthly sensual desires of the flesh. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, says that the flesh equates to the affections and the desires that we have in our inner being that run contrary to God. Martin Luther says in every area of life, marriage, work, personal, corporate, everything, that these desires and these affections that we have that run contrary to God, Martin Luther says it runs contrary in every area of our life. Apostle Paul says it this way, that the acts of the flesh, and this is my first slide, first one, called here from the book of Galatians, Paul says these works of the flesh, that Martin Luther, that infiltrates every area of our life. Paul says it this way, that the works of the flesh, they are obvious. You see them comes out in the sexual immorality, meaning anything goes. People just do whatever. Moral impurity, promiscuity, just jump around, jump around, jump around. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. Do you not realize they did research that most of the stuff that we see Uh, that happens in our culture just comes out of one sin, like sexual immorality. If we could get sexual immorality under control, that would help with some of the things that we see happening in our communities and in our cities. Just just that one sin. (laughs) So Paul says the things of the flesh, they're obvious, sexual immorality, more impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, putting things over God, sorcery, hatred. Look at this the things of the flesh of obvious hatred this word hatred means a person who is who's 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 standing in pure animosity they will not like you based on nothing they wake up in the morning hating people doesn't matter what you do or what you say they're born in the hatred paul says the things of the flesh hatreds look how it goes strife Jealousy. You see that happening all over the world. How can you get one is when people just wake up in the morning with hatred, strife, and they're jealous. of What you got on and what you wear or maybe because of how you may be able to do your gift or whatever the case may be. Jealousy, outburst of anger, just angry all the time, want to jump on you. Flipping you off as you're driving to work in the morning, just angry. Well, everybody has a gun down here, so you got to be careful. I had to go get me a gun, you know, the legal way. But I have no intention on using the gun. In fact, I go shooting the gun. I said, I don't like this. I mean, I know that people like to shoot their guns and stuff. I've been hanging out with Deion. I mean, I don't really like it. I don't want to have to shoot nobody with this gun. This gun is powerful, man. But, you know, I will get once you break in my house, I will send you on on the other side. Make no apologies for it. Put the sign across over my forehead and keep it moving. (laughs) But it's not my heart. It's not my desire to shoot you in the head. (laughs) I ain't shooting for the feet and all that stuff. Shooting you right in the head. But here you go. Paul says outbursts of anger, selfish, ambitious. It's everywhere. These things are obvious. Paul says to the flesh dissensions, just can't get along with anybody. Look at this. This is Paul says, these things of the flesh that are contrary to God, selfish, ambitious, dissensions, factions. You're not seeing that play out in the world right now. How would you take the whole world that's like that and make them one? Envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar, Paul says. These are all the works of the flesh. But remember, the gospel is good news. And this good news includes what? It includes sanctification. So the next slide here, you say, Pastor Hardy, what is sanctification? I've been doing this for over the last three weeks. And this is a great definition for it because it's a catechism that comes from the Westminster Um, catechism so you can teach it to your kids you can tell your little son like Emily's doing with little Jack Jack what is sanctification and then you help him memorize this way from how we have it here and what is the sanctification sanctification is the work of God's free grace by which we are renewed throughout in the image of God so sanctification we come into we come out of Egypt we're on our way to the promised land and God is making us more and more like Him. That's what God created us to do in the very beginning. God created us humans in His in His image and in His likeness. But sin has happened, and through the gospel and the good news, God is undergoing a process of renewal within us through the Word of God that sanctifies us. God is renewing us in the image of Himself, and we are enabled more. And more to die to sin. All of those things that Paul talks about, like envy, jealousy, fits of rage, and all of that, were able to die to sin and to live to righteousness more and more. Apostle Paul, in our text today, in verse 7, concerning the law. And Here in our text from. Verse seven to verse twenty five, I'm skipping the first six verses. But here in our verses today, the word law is mentioned over 15 times just from verse seven to verse twenty five. So it's important for us to understand how Apostle Paul is speaking of the law as it relates to our spiritual condition. And Paul's question is whether the law, in verse 7, is whether the law is sin. And Paul answers the question. He says, absolutely not. The law is not sin. Most conservative Bible theologians and Bible scholars conclude that the law has three main functions in our lives as human beings. We've done this before, but I think it's good just to rehash because we got new people here and I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Most conservative Bible theologians conclude. that The law for us here today in the New Testament, that it has three main functions. And the first function is, is the law is to be a mirror reflecting. To us both the perfect righteousness of God. In our own sinfulness and shortcomings. And through the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 3.20. It's through the law that we get the knowledge of sin. But the law reflects back to us how sinful we really are. The second function is that the civil use of the law is to restrain evil. Through punishment, I sweat my eye, is to restrain evil through punishment. If you do this, we're going to lock you up. It serves to protect the righteous from the unjust. That's why we put people in prison. And then his third function is to guide the Christians As they seek to live in humble gratitude for the grace God has shown us. Those are the three functions of the law. But Paul. Asked the question, is the law sin? And then Paul goes on to the end of verse seven. He said, I wouldn't have known what sin is if it was not for the law. So, Carl, you can put up verse eight back to verse seven. And I'm going to walk through some verses here, verses 8 through, um, to 13, back to the text. So Paul says at the end of the text, he said, I wouldn't have known what it is to covet if the law had not said it. Do not covet. So the law tells us what's wrong. The law reveals sinfulness to us and our shortcomings. So Paul explains this. He said he wouldn't have known what covet it was if the law didn't tell us in the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet. Stop looking over at my house and what I have and getting angry about it. That's what covet is, wanting something that's not yours. It's a desire to have something that you do not desire to work for with your own hands, but to take it by any force necessary. And so Paul goes, I wouldn't have known what covenant was if the Lord didn't tell me. And then verse eight, he said, and then sin, season and opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. Most scholars believe that the the heart of the desire of what Eve and Adam fell when Satan came to her in the garden was to to get her to covet. God says, "Do not eat of this tree of knowledge good and evil." But what Satan did he said, "No, you should eat it." So he he created a desire in her of covetous desire to have something that God had prohibited. And so Paul says, "This covetous is now he sees it throughout his whole life, and sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead." Verse nine: Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came. Sin spring to life. One translation says sin was produced. So when you tell someone not to do something, it almost causes something within you to want to do it. This is why just telling folks not to do something will not fix it. Don't murder. How is that working out in Birmingham? Don't steal. How is that working out in Fairfield? Don't commit adultery. How is that working out? So Paul is saying the commandment alone produces this thing. It comes to life. Verse 10. And I died and the commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me. Sin is always deception. And through it killed me. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Verse 12. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Verse 13. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin in order to be recognized as sin was producing death in me through what is good. So that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. So Paul is explaining how the law works within us. St. Augustine confessions in this slide. He explains this, what Paul is trying to explain here in this verse. Um, St. Augustine, an African um, guy, that was a huge guy in the, in the church. We owe a huge debt to this man of God. God has used him mightily. And this is how he expresses here what Paul is explaining about how sin works in our life according with the law of God. Here it is. He says, there was a pear tree near our vineyard laden with fruit. And one stormy night we rascally used set out to rob it and carry our spores away. We took off a huge load of pears, not to feast upon ourselves, but to throw them to the pigs, though we ate just enough to have the pleasure of forbidding fruit. They were nice pears, but it was not the pears that my wretched soul coveted. For I had plenty better at home. I picked them simply in order to become a thief. I know lots of people that steal and have money in their pocket. Go to the line, see the sneaker bar and just take the sneaker, throw it in the back pocket. And they have a dollar and thirty nine cents in their pocket. It's just the ideal of stealing it, taking it. And only feast I got was a feast of Iniquity. And that I enjoy it to the full. So the law springs in us this desire to, to go against it. God draws a line, we step over it. That's what Augustus is trying to explain here. And this is what Paul is trying to tell us. There's another verse that in Proverbs, verse 9, it says, Stolen water is refreshing. Still in it, it's refreshing. One translation says it is sweet. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. There's something about doing something wrong. People that commit adultery and affairs that go to hotels and they're sneaking around or in the lobby hiding out. It's just something about it. And sometimes the person that they're cheating with don't even look as best as their husband or their wives. It's just something about cheating. Having an illustrious affair. That's what his proverbs is saying: Stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. but little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. A the text theme today, the great civil war happening. On the inside of us. Verses 14 to 25. um, This portion of scripture. Is one of the most. Contested. passages in all of Romans. Commentators debate. Whether this is a non-Christian Jewish Pharisee. Under the law. The other being a normal. Christian struggle with sin. And the third being a carnal Christian in itself. And commentators from the from the first century to now, they debate. Who and what is Paul talking about in verses 14 to 25? I mean, you want to see a contested passage of scriptures. Romans chapter seven is one of them. Very difficult passage of scripture to to preach on because there are so many um, views on it. But there are three. Mainly is Paul talking about a Jewish Pharisee guy under the law or is it just a normal Christian struggle or is it a carnal Christian? But I saw here today with Augustine, Luther and Calvin, John Calvin and many others that this passage Is a portrait of Apostle Paul and normal Christians struggle with sin as one who loves the law of God and longs to please God, but is trying to do it in his or her own strength. A Christian. Who loves the law of God and longs to please God, but is trying to do this Christian life in our own strength. And so what we're about to read is Paul autobiography. And I dare say ours as well sitting here today as a legitimate Christian. Verses 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. Paul says, but I here's the word he's that's why Paul is referring to himself. Singular pronoun. But I am of the flesh, sold as slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do. How many of you find yourself doing that? You, you, you want to get up and pray. You want to go to the Bible study. You want to do what's right. You don't want to look at porn. But the very thing that you don't want to do, you catch yourself doing all the time. And you want to please God. That's what Paul is saying. For I do not understand what I am doing. It's like I'm out of my mind. The flesh is powerful. I'm sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. How many of you feel like you just, man, I just keep doing this. I hate this. I keep falling down over the same sin. See, in the old churches, people used to come get saved every Sunday because they messed up on Sunday, Monday, Saturday. Saturday night they messed up. So I guess I got to get saved again. I know I used to do it before I found out what was going on. Man, I got saved every Sunday. Pastors of the church, the doors were church was open. I ran up there and said, man, I got to get saved again because I didn't think I was saved. How many of you been like that? Man, I accepted Jesus a billion times. And then on Monday morning, back to sin and gin. And maybe a little juice, as Snoop Dogg used to say. Verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Because what is the law doing? It's showing you your shortcomings. You're sinful. The law doesn't change. It's just say, no, it just says, no, you're coveted. You're, you're a liar. You're cheating. You cheat on your taxes. The law just keeps saying what we are. And we, we, the law doesn't give you any power to, to change or to transform you. The law just says, hey, I'm just a mirror reflecting back to you that you are not righteous. You're not good. When you hear somebody at work say, I just got a good heart, Well, you're not reading the law of God. Because there ain't no way they can read the law of God and say, I have a good heart. Because when I read the law of God, which is the word of God, I say, Lord, I just don't measure up. (laughs) So I don't know how you can get a good heart and all of us got bad hearts. (laughs) Maybe you ain't reading the word of God. Because remember, that's what the law is. It's a mirror. And Paul says, I do what I do not want to do. I agree with the law that the law is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is seeing living in me. It goes back to that Augustine that's still in the pairs. And, you know, it was just something about the prohibition. I just want to do it. Seeing that law produces this thing in me, it reveals the sinfulness of our heart. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. Back to what Paul says in Galatians 5, the flesh, the things of the flesh, they are obvious. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. I keep trying to say, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to be a faithful man. I'm going to be a faithful husband. I'm going to be a faithful wife. I'm going to be the best mom. And then it's just like we keep falling short. So Paul says, this flesh is powerful. Verse 19, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. A life of a Christian. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law when I want to do what is good. How many will say this is true? When I want to do what is good. I'm going to keep my budget, not going to spin over and you end up going to target. Guess what? Eighty five percent off. You and the husband have worked out a deal. We're not going to spend this. And then the the, the good is there. You decided to want to do it. But then the evil is there. But I can get this and maybe hide it somewhere in the account. Maybe he or she won't see it. <laughs> Maybe I can just put it down there. I bought an extra pack of ribs, but knowing you bought some socks or you bought some fake knockoff joints or whatever it is, but try to call it ribs and beef or salmon or whatever it is. The good is there. You want to obey. We've agreed, me and the husband, that we're not going to spend this much money, but it's 85% off on some shoes To add to your already filled up closet of shoes. What you going to do now? (laughs) I know I'm guilty. So Paul is saying. The evil is present with me. Verse 20, 22. For in my inner self, see inside of us. We delight. Paul said, I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body. Waging war. Here's a civil war. Waging war against us. The good and the evil. There's an inner cell. You light in the law of God. You want to keep God's word. You want to keep God's law. But Paul says, I see a different law in my parts of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind. And it takes me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. And then Paul gets here. Verse 24. This is what he says. This back and forth. And Paul says, what a wretched man I am. What is Paul saying? This is what wretched means. Paul says a miserable distressed condition. I'm miserable. I'm in this distressed condition. Back and forth. Sin and the law that shows me my sin is springing forth sin, and I can never win. And when I'm trying to do good, evil is always present. And Paul just comes to the point, what a wretched man I am. I'm in this miserable, distressful condition. I can't win. I can't do it. I can't defeat sin. It doesn't matter how many times the preacher tells me with all of his self-help, how-to's programs, calling it the gospel. I can't win. Do this and do that. Try harder. Run around the block. Eat right. Don't eat over your amount that you say on your watch, you will not eat this many calories. By Tuesday, you will ate up all the Krispy Kreme donuts in the office. Paul says, What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Paul is coming to the end of himself, his human efforts to defeat sin in his life. He's realizing that the end of our human strength in matters of overcoming sin nature that wars within us. He's realizing that his own strength, his own energy, he cannot defeat sin. And many of you in this room today, you are trying to become a better you by you. You're fighting the good fight by your own strength. And we are like Paul. We are wretched people. Paul came to a place, he says, Who? What a wretched man or woman that I am. And Paul says, Who will rescue me from this body of death? Until we really understand. Until we really understand the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, where it says, what Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, which means believers who realize the utter helplessness. Have you really just come to a place where you say, I just can't be a good husband just because I tried to be a good husband? That I'm utterly helpless in my own self to be a good person. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says. People who realize their utter helplessness, their utter weaknesses in this war to win this great civil war that wages within us. When you want to do good, but you find yourself doing evil. Tim Keller speaks on this verse. He says, until we cry along with Apostle Paul that we too are wretched, that we are helpless, that we are weak, that we don't have the strength, that we don't have the right tools, that we don't have the right whatever it is, that we too are wretched, we will never appreciate the gospel of received righteousness that comes to us by faith. You will never understand the gospel. As long as we think we can do this Christian life in our own strength, we will constantly fall back into the Romans chapter 7. Christian. But Paul Points us to the only help he knows, and he says in verse twenty-five. He said, "Who will rescue me from this wretched person that I am? Who will get me out of this?" And look at what Paul says in his doxology. Thanks be to God. No, that's not what he's about to say. Thanks be to God. He doesn't give a self-help program. He doesn't give you how-tos. Thanks be to God that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the only hope. He's the only answer. It is not anything else that will rescue us from our wretched condition. It is only in Jesus that we can be rescued. And what Paul is setting us up for Romans 7 is the hard, it's dreadful, it's sin. We are bound by it. We are being defeated by it. But Paul is building up to Romans chapter 8, and he's trying to lead us that we have the power that God grants to us for us not to fight in our own strength. But we have to come, as Paul says, we have to come to that place where we say, God, I am totally helpless. I am totally wretched. I am weak. I cannot win on my own. And Paul says, thanks be unto God. It's in Jesus. And then Romans 8, 1. But Paul starts out by saying, therefore. Therefore, there's no condemnation. But I don't want to get into that. But Paul is leading up to that. The power to live the victorious life is not in our own strength And then I come to this. The Christian walk, brothers and sisters, is a constant battle to rely on Jesus' finished work and atonement work done on the cross and to trust Him for the victory over sin in our lives. See, this is why Jesus gave us this great institution. And He says to us as long as we meet, as much as often as we meet that we should do what? Because the battle is not ours. He's won the victory. And so he brings us every time to the victory that was won over sin that reminds us. And he says in in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, for I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you that on the night who Jesus was betrayed. Paul says, thanks be unto the Lord Jesus Christ. It was on the night that he was betrayed for the mission, for the mission, for the remission of who? Not his sins, but who? Our sins. Your sins. My sins. He was betrayed. And the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you and this is a fight for the Christian he says do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup and after supper and said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in what? And remembers of what? Of him. What he's done. How he came and died for your sins. Paul is saying to us, we are weak we are dust. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You feel defeated today? Feel like porn is beating you down? You can't win? Know his death and know the power of his resurrection. So it's not you. That's, but the hardest part, because here's what happens. We get strong for one day and then on Wednesday we get weak again because we forget how weak we are. So we get up in the morning. We don't talk to him. We don't read the word. We don't say, Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me. We say we got this. And then you back in Romans seven all over again. That's the life of a Christian. And today I know in this room, I know how it works. It works in my life. There are Sundays I don't want to preach. I feel like I haven't done everything I needed to do. It's been a busy week. I didn't pray as much. and So I feel defeated. And so you know what? I have to remind myself. And that's what Paul is saying. I am weak. I cannot be a pastor in my own strength. I cannot preach in my own strength. I cannot do anything in my own strength. I cannot love my wife in my own strength. I cannot be a good father to my children in my own strength. I cannot be a good human in my own strength. I am weak. I am feeble. I need God. And God tells us that he gives grace to who? To the humble. But he resists the proud. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But theirs is the kingdom of God. Guys, I know you're weak. Do you know you're weak? Do you understand you can't live it in your own strength? And so if you're weak and you're feeble, you say, Pastor, I've messed up all week long. I've lusted more than I lusted in my whole entire life. That's okay. Remember, Paul says, Think I'm wretched. He said, but it's, the victory is in Jesus. It's not in you. And that's the Christian fight. And Romans 7 is just reminding us all the law is going to ever do. Yeah, you're bad. Yeah, your breath stinks. Yeah, you're not that good. Yeah, you're a bad person. Yeah, it, The law is just going to keep telling you that. You're not going to find no way out of it. it the law is just going to keep saying, yeah, 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 you're bad. It's a mirror. The law is pointing you the Lord says, run to the table. Run to the cross. Run to Jesus. That's where your victory is. And so, if you're there and you're thirsty like a deer, in Psalms 42, looking for the water in the weary land, come to the table today. If you're a believer and you believe Jesus Christ came and died for your sins, this table is for you. And you need to remember what he has done. To give you and I victory over sin. Because Romans 8 and 1, first thing Paul says, therefore, there is now what? No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So come to the table and eat and drink and remember what He has done for you. And if you don't believe that today, that I say, stand off to the side, come talk to me a Pastor Chad. One of the leaders that have come up front and we can share with you how you could become one of us, as they say, crazy, spooky people who believe in this God that came and died. But he's the best God that we've come to ever know. If you know of another God that's better than him, there is no one. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time in the service where we come to eat and to partake. And to be reminded over and over again of the great, wonderful work that you've done in the gospel. You remind us through this table, this holy table, sacred, set apart to remind the wretched people that there is victory, that there is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He died. And he rose again for us. Lord, as we eat and drink today, fill us up with strength. Fill us up with hope. Renewed hope in the truth of the gospel. That in this fight against sin, we're not in it by ourselves, but you are with us. We thank you for it now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What we're going to do, just, Brother Mike is just going to, one row at a time, because of the COVID-19, we don't have the trays going to go around, so you're just going to come and just grab one and just go back to your seat, and then don't eat or drink. We're going to do it all at one time. And so, you can start coming. It's me a long time as a pastor, a servant of God, an adopted son of God, to understand the depth what Jesus accomplished on behalf of sinners. The beatings, how he was accused Falsely. I was real pain. I was a real suffering. The thing that really gets me, he was pure, undefiled, righteous, holy, never broke the law of God. Never, when the law of God came to him, Jesus reflected back to it righteously. And I never could have. I never could. But this body that was bruised and broken, he was betrayed, was done for us. Weary, weak, wretched people. Jesus came because he loved us, as we were singing earlier. He died for us. That's how much he loved us. To save us from what? And as I think that what the church misses it, To save us from the wretchedness of sin. What sin does to people. What it does to human beings. The hatred that we see in our world right now. That's what sin is. People being killed daily. Baby parts being sold. That's sin. Jesus died for that. So as you eat, be remindful. And remember what he did for you by his body being broken. Let's eat. This blood, this um, this wine, juice, it reminds us that we're in a part of a new covenant, covenant of grace. We believe in Jesus He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, the new covenant of grace. How did it happen? He died. He bled. So when we drink of his blood, we're being reminded that our sins are wiped away. Not because I try hard. Please hear me. Not because you run hard. Because you just believe in the one who came and died and bled for you. So drink in remembrance of what he's done for you and I. Father, we submit this to you. Thank you for being a good, good father. That's who you are. You're a good, good father. And I know, Father, there are times where we really can't understand how good you are. I pray that through this ritual, the church has been performing since you have installed it 2,000 years ago. That you remind us all that you are good, good, Father. That's who you are. And that you love us with a perfect holiness and a perfect righteousness. We thank you. Let's stand to our feet and be dismissed. Those of you, someone in the room, you say, man, Pastor Hart, that hit me. That hit me hard. And we don't do the doors of the church are open. I don't have any door to open for you. But what I can do as a minister of the gospel, I can point you to the door and tell you where he is. And his hands are outstretched wide to receive you by grace, by faith, your trust in him and what he's done. So if you're in the room, you need that. Come holler at me. Those of us to receive this good benediction this good news. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and grant you his peace. Amen. 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 You're dismissed.